0: Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 12. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything, to stand firm. we'll be examining today will be this helmet of salvation. The Lord says of precepts in Psalm 119.27, David says, make me to understand the way of your precepts and I will meditate on your wondrous works. Precepts. A truth that becomes evident as we study through these scriptures is that the precepts of God intricately woven together and interrelated with the other precepts. Each precept having an anchor of its foundation sunk deeply into related precepts. With the whole truth being founded precept upon precept. Now what do I mean by the word precept? Why is it important that each precept be in agreement with all the other related precepts? The Bible dictionary defines a precept as being a commandment, an instruction, or an order intended as an authoritative rule of action. And please note those words carefully. God's precepts not only instruct us about the truths of God, they also have within them an impetus, an unction, empowering them to move on forward to do them. In Isaiah 28, we read, beginning in verse 9, "...to whom will he teach knowledge, and to whom will he explain the message? Those who are weaned from the milk, those taken from the breast. For it is precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little." Now, in these words, God acknowledges that we are just at the beginning stages of our learning, much as little children who are barely weaned and much in need of correct understanding of concepts and precepts that form the basis of this Word of God. And from those beginnings, God exhorts us to follow His carefully designed steps towards finding the right understanding for them. And that's so for all of the truths and all of the doctrines of God, both great and small. God has special precepts that He has put into place to guide our hearts and our minds to know and to do His will in each of them. And that's so with this precept that we're examining here today, that of the salvation of our souls. And here too, God has graciously provided precept upon precept That will lead us to salvation. What are the precepts that lead to salvation? I wanted to give these to us today. Because so often as you engage with someone who is not yet a believer. You wonder how can I lead them through these steps of salvation. You think I get fumble-tongued. And I don't know what to say next. The verses that I'm going to give to you, the precepts, are described by some as the Roman road. And I invite you to make a note of these verses so that you can know the next time that you want to talk to someone about salvation. The first precept is in Romans 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We are at the core of our being sinners. We are not sinners because we sin. We sin because at the core of our being we are sinners. And we each have sinned. We've all done things that violate the laws and the holiness of God. Scripture tells us that there is none righteous. No, not one. And there also in Romans 3, God gives a, a long and detailed picture of, of what sin looks like within our daily lives. And I invite you to read those verses. The second precept that leads to salvation is found in Romans 6, verse 23, which teaches about the consequences of sin. Verse 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Note now precept upon precept. The first precept is we are sinners in need of a Savior. The next precept is, the wages of those sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The punishment that we have earned and that we deserve for our sins is death. Not just physical death, but eternal death. But in Romans 5.8, God declares... But God demonstrates His own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus Christ died for you and me. And by His death, He paid the price for our sins. And His resurrection proved that God accepted His death as the full and complete payment to atone for our sins. Now the next precept that leads to salvation is Romans 10 verse 9. There we read, if you confess with your mouth Jesus Christ as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. Simple words. If you confess with your mouth Jesus Christ as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Why is it that so many who walk down an aisle and pray the sinner's prayer aren't really saved? It's easy to say... Words with your mouth. But do you really believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead? All of that has to come together. That's part of the precept. Jesus' death on our behalf is all that is needed for our salvation. All that remains is for us to believe in Him. Trusting in His death as the payment for our sins. And if we do that, we will be saved. Romans 10.13 confirms that precept by saying, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Jesus died to pay the penalty for our sins and to rescue us from eternal death. Salvation, that forgiveness of our sins, is available to anyone who will simply trust in Jesus as their Savior and Lord. Now the final precept that we're to understand about salvation has to do with the results of salvation. In Romans 5.1, we read, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what takes place. Through Jesus Christ, you and I and everyone else who receives Him as Savior and Lord can have a relationship of peace with God. Notice here that the word changes from believes to receives. John chapter 1, you're told that you have to do both. You have to believe in Him and receive Him. It's one thing to believe that Jesus exists, but until you and I receive Him, we're not saved. But once we do receive Him, something takes place. The enmity that we talked about in another message recently is wiped away. And suddenly there's a peace that passes all understanding that comes up into our souls. All of life changes. Then in Romans 8, 1, we read, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The debt's been paid in full. There is now no condemnation. Because of Jesus' death on our behalf, we'll never be condemned for our sins. Our debt has been paid in full. You'll recall that as Jesus hung there on the cross... When he cried out, it is finished. That's what he was saying. Paid in full. Those are the same words. And then to further confirm this precept, or all of these precepts, in Romans 8 we read, this is verses 38 and 39, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor any height or depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Once we have taken all of these steps, nothing can then separate us from Christ. Now this is the way that God teaches precept upon precept, line upon line. And this is exactly the manner of teaching that we find in these instructions regarding the full armor of God. Clearly and plainly given, item by item, precept upon precept, line upon line. First we're told why we need the the protection that's found in the armor of God. Why do we? He says, because the day is evil. You have no choice in that. As you walk through your day, every day, it is evil. Evil permeates every part of it. And as part of that evil... We have those enemies that live within the spirit world who continually reach over from their realm into ours and they attack us. And on our own, we have no good defense against them. The armor of God is our only protection. Our only protection. Then God begins to instruct. After he has said why we need this protection, he begins to instruct us on how we are to put on His protective armor. First, we put on the precept of truth, then the precept of God's imputed righteousness, and then the precept of the gospel of peace, and then the precept of the shield of faith, and now here today, the precept of salvation. All intended to lead and to guide and to urge us on into God's loving plan of salvation and eternal life. Again, why does God find need to instruct us in this manner? Precept upon precept, line upon line. Our childish hearts are slow of learning and slow of understanding. But recall that also involved in precepts is an unction that prods us on, stirs us, urges us to move on ahead with this salvation and with this protection. That's so with all of these precepts involving the full armor of God. That's why it's put together in the way that it is. Look again at this armor. We began with the girding of our loins with truth. Christ himself being truth itself. He said, I am the truth. And then we put on this breastplate of righteousness. And if you'll recall as we studied that, this breastplate of righteousness has the righteousness of Christ imputed into it. And then we shod our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We put on those special shoes that would not allow us in any way to be moved backwards. Sunk deeply into this foundation of the gospel. And then we took up the shield of faith to extinguish those flaming darts of the evil one. Christ himself becomes our shield, our protector. Now today we're to put on this helmet of salvation. And the very name Jesus, the very name Jesus signifies salvation. In Matthew 1, even before Jesus was born, the angel told Joseph, he said, Joseph, son of David, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. And listen, for he will save his people from their sins. Again, all of the precepts regarding Christ himself are closely joined with other precepts. And then also can be seen clearly to be the same as these various precepts garments within the full armor of God, illustrating this necessity that we put on the whole armor of God instead of just select pieces of it. And yes, simple logic would tell us that it would be far better for us to put on the whole armor of God, wearing every piece of it. But understanding these precepts, I want to say it again, understanding the precepts behind such logic will help you and I to better reach for and to put on that armor every day if we don't understand the precepts behind it we're not even going to think clearly enough to put on this armor each day now again here today we're told to put on the helmet of salvation and I love the imagery that God gives because I am a visual thinker this imagery prompts my mind to visualize God's precept for this purpose Now, at first reading about putting on the helmet of salvation, my mind immediately went to the simplest meaning for putting on the helmet of salvation and that of first believing in Christ and receiving Him as Savior and Lord. And that certainly is absolutely the very first requirement. However, Bible scholars point out that salvation the term that we use for salvation actually has three distinct stages to it. Yes, we are initially saved when we first receive Christ as our Savior. But then in Philippians 2, we read about our salvation being an ongoing process. Not just that one time when we, when we bowed the knee and received Christ, but salvation is also an ongoing process. Philippians 2.12 Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works within you to will and to do according to His good pleasure. It's an ongoing process in our daily life. Every day, all through the day. And that process will not be finally completed until the last day, the very last day when we'll be with Christ in heaven. Romans 13.11, we read about that future aspect of salvation. Romans thirteen eleven, And do this, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Note those words. We first believed and received salvation, but now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. God gives that future aspect to salvation. And so, As one Bible scholar put it, salvation is a process which begins when a person first becomes a Christian, then continues through the rest of his life, which concludes on the last day. This scholar says, that definition allows a faithful Christian to embrace all three of the aspects of salvation which are given in the Bible, saying, I have been saved, I am being saved, and I will be saved. As to this precept of putting on the helmet of salvation, the Bible commentator John MacArthur tells us that before a person can actually put on any one part of the armor of God, and this part of the armor of God is well down the list. It's fifth in the list. In order for us to put on any part of the armor of God, we have to have already received the initial salvation of our souls. And so because of that, rather than the helmet of salvation that's being spoken of here being an initial call to salvation, what God is talking about here is it is a part, this helmet of salvation is a part of that ongoing process of salvation. The working out of our salvation with fear and trembling. And that belief is further borne out by the instruction that we've been reading here in these words to put on the full armor of God as a daily reminder to put on the full armor of God each day, working out all the matters of salvation within our families, within our workplaces, within all of those contacts that we will have all throughout our day. Because each day as we go into each of those circumstances, whether it be in our family, in our workplace, in our neighborhoods, we're going to expose ourselves to the opportunities for the evil one to launch their attacks against us. Recall we spoke of that last week in the way that they can launch their fiery darts, their flaming arrows at us. And so we continually need to be putting on that full armor of God So then in response to this understanding of the meaning of salvation about it being, yes, one time but also an ongoing process and then one that will take place when we go to be with Christ. I need to ask you all though if there be anyone in here who has not fully received Christ as their Savior and Lord in that initial salvation you have to understand something. If you have not received Christ as your Savior. You simply will not be able to put on any part of this armor. If you do not have Christ as your Savior, you will not be able to put on any part of this armor of God. It's not a possibility. Because you must first have received Christ as your Savior. If you recall from an earlier message, the putting on of this armor is really the putting on of Christ Himself. In Romans 13, verse 14, we read, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Simply put, you cannot put on Christ if you do not have Him as your Savior and Lord. Now thankfully, most all of the folks in this church today have made a confirmed profession of faith. And because of that, we can assume that each of us would understand this precept of the helmet of salvation to be a part of this full armor of God, but as the part in which we're working out our salvation daily. That as we get up in the morning, that we put on this helmet of salvation as we walk through the day. So with that being true, what then should the putting on of this helmet of salvation look like for us as we engage daily with this world, the flesh, the devil. Since the first and most powerful work of salvation had to do with wiping away our sins and freeing us from the power and the control of sin within our souls, that would seem to be a good place to start with putting on this helmet of salvation. One of the difficulties that we've talked about here often is that when we step across that threshold into salvation, there is a residue of our old sin nature that still lingers within most of our habits, most of our behaviors, the words that we say, the expressions that we use, the people that we hang out with. And they continually reach to draw us back into our old ways. And so that's a good place to start because it's within those conditions and it's during those temptations that our three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil are most effective. You know, before we were saved, I know it was true with me, before I was saved, I became so accustomed to willingly taking part in the ways of the world. As unbelievers, we really do enjoy sin. We enjoy all those things that we do. All those habits, all those behaviors. We get so self-centered that we don't even know that we're self-centered. We get so selfish in the way that we think that we don't even know that we're selfish. We have such pride. We believe that we're right about everything. We tell lies. You know, lying is one of the chief sins that is condemned in Scripture. We do it all the time. And we bring those lies into this new relationship with Christ. We bring deceit. Are you deceitful? When you have an occasion... To argue a point, do you bring up things that are really not true just to support your argument? We bring other things, drugs and alcohol and on and on, into this new relationship with Christ. So that's where you and I need to begin, with this helmet of salvation. Why do we need to know the precepts that led up to where we are now? It's because we have to be intentional in each of those because they are so interrelated. All of those precepts of our salvation and now of the armor of God are so interrelated, woven together. And now you and I need to put on this helmet of salvation by working it out in the difficult moments of our daily life. When those matters come up to us, when we're tempted to do those different Things that we used to do so freely. Beginning first in our homes. That's where we do most of our lying and deceiving and, and uh, self-centeredness and pride. It needs to begin in our families. Then as we go on out into to our workplaces, into our neighborhoods, and all those other encounters that we have. Let me say to you, those are the testing grounds of our faith of our salvation, the temptations abounding there, drawing us back into those old habits and behaviors. Please do think about these words as you go through this next week and see if what I'm saying is not true. You're going to be drawn right back into some of those old habits that you had before. But what you and I need to do is go back daily, maybe even several times a day, and rehearse these precepts that we've learned about salvation. And then as we obediently begin to follow those precepts step by step, the protection of this armor will suddenly start to be of help to us. Will start to protect us. And yes, the temptations will always be there. They'll always be there. That's what the devil does. That's what demonic beings do in your and my life all day, every day. They tempt. But because of our salvation, you and I have been set completely free from the power and the control of sin that is within us, comes from the world and the flesh, the devil. Our daily life will really begin to show a difference. We'll begin to be able to walk freely through so many of those sinful circumstances of our day and not be touched by it. Not be touched by it. Wouldn't that be... So wonderful. It's not an easy path to walk, no. But thanks be to God, because we are saved, because we do have this salvation and have the presence of Christ living within us, we are fully and completely able to do it. Let me close with these words from John chapter 8 about the power and the control that we have been set free from. John chapter 8, verse 31, Jesus said, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. In verse 36, so if the Son shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. Praise the Lord. Let's pray.